I've heard it said you steer where you stare. We are bombarded daily with voices vying for our attention. And if we fill our days and minds with Netflix and social media feeds, we can get off track pretty quick. That's why I developed a 30-day music challenge. Listen to Christian music exclusively for 30 days. The challenge is free, and I'll be right there with you every step of the way. Head over to michellenizette.com forward slash 30-day challenge to sign up. Change your music, change your life. You're listening to More Than a Song, episode 442. Welcome to this episode of More Than a Song. My name is Michelle Nizat, and this is the podcast dedicated to helping you discover the truth of Scripture, hidden in today's popular Christian music. My goal is to teach you to connect portions of God's Word with the songs you're singing along with on the radio, to help you meditate on truths that will transform your way of thinking and ultimately your life. I've been studying story a lot lately. You see, I'm writing a book whereby I can share theological truths about the authority of Scripture, but I want to do it in a way that's accessible and memorable, and so I've chosen to write a story and link what my main character learns to these deeper truths that I want to teach. And the thing that makes stories compelling and interesting is when the main character bumps up against tough times. How the character responds is the story. It's not about really what happens to a character that makes a good story. It's really seeing how what happens to a character matters to the character. I know, mind blown. We sort of know this intuitively when we watch a movie that's just a series of things happening. We're more likely to change the channel. But when we can see why or we get invested in what is happening and why that matters to the main guy, now all of a sudden we're engaged. Here's the deal with difficult stories in our own lives. Difficult stories cause us to question whether or not God is in the story. And that is what the song by Katie Nicole and Big Daddy Weave is all about. In their song, God is in this story, they affirm that God remains in the details, even when it doesn't seem like it. I always love a reason to send you to the Old Testament to read and interact with the great ancient narratives gifted to us by our Heavenly Father. In fact, in many of those accounts, you may question, God is in this story? (laughs) And we're going to study one this week that may just change the way you view the details of your own story, just like our song aims at doing. But before we dive into scripture, let's listen. God is in this story. Now, this podcast is never really about the song, thus the name, more than a song. It's always about using the songs we listen to on the radio to inspire us to dig into scripture. But I don't want you to ever feel like I don't care about the application of God's truth to our lives. I firmly believe that if I can inspire you to read God's word for yourself, that the Holy Spirit will meet you there, and it really will change the way you think, and it really will change your life. I just know that step one is to know what the Word says, then move toward what it means before you seek to apply it 
to your own life. But I don't want the fact that I most often just focus on step one, what does the Bible actually say? I don't want that to lead you to think that I don't care about why these songs touch you in the first place. I care about the hurt you're going through. Now, Big Daddy Weave, lead singer, uh, Mike Weaver, he lost his brother this year. And when the the band sings along with this song, he's thinking about this part of his story. In fact, he said, it's been a really difficult season of saying goodbye to my brother and missing him, but also a time of realizing that there's so much more for us to do. This is a song of hope, a song of encouragement that God really is present with us in all of the seasons of our lives, the really great ones and the ones that are difficult. God is not giving up on us. He is in the details of our lives. We can trust him that he's working things together for our good. So if you are suffering from losing someone that you love, God is present even in this painful part of your story. Katie Nicole adds when talking about this song, She says, the one thing that we all have in common is that we all have a story to tell. Looking back on my life, I always thought, oh, my story is too broken and no one's going to want to hear about that. But what I didn't know is that people were actually seeing Jesus through my story because God was turning the broken things into beautiful things. So if you think your story is too broken, I promise you that it's not because God is in it. I can't agree more. So I want us to study a story found in scripture that by all accounts, you would say, there's no way Jesus is in this story. This is a broken mess. (laughs) In fact, I'm pretty sure the people in the story had moments where they were pretty sure God had left them to their own demise, either because for one, Yahweh was not the God of her people. And for the other, his sin was too great to redeem in his own mind, of course. But as Katie Nicole said, God was turning the broken things into beautiful things like only he can. So let's head over to the book of Genesis to read about the story of Judah and Tamar, Genesis chapter 38 to be exact. I really wish we could read it together. We don't have time, so it's homework for you But uh, go to read it for yourself. But allow me to recap. So Judah is one of Jacob's 12 sons. He moves away from his father's house and heads to the town of a friend of his. There he meets and marries a Canaanite woman and had three sons, Ur, Onan, and Shelah. The account goes on to say that Judah chose a wife for Ur named Tamar, but Ur was so wicked that God killed him. And then when Tamar was given to Onan as a wife, the way it was supposed to go is that the firstborn son between Tamar and Onan was going to belong to Ur for his namesake, his inheritance, all that. And then every son after that would be for Onan. That's just the way it went in those days. Just don't don't get too bogged down in the cultural differences here. And I'm going to go ahead and keep it a little PG here. If you've if you've never read this story for yourself, you actually may be a little lost until you do. But let's just say Onan used Tamar as a wife, but took some actions that would make sure that she never had a baby at all. And this was evil in God's sight. And so God killed Onan as well. Next up, Shayla. But Judah was afraid that Shayla might die too. So like basically Tamar was supposed to then be given in marriage to Shayla. So he sent Tamar back to her father's house as a widow with the promise that she could marry Shayla when he grew up and was of marrying age. The thing is, Shayla grew up and Tamar remained a widow in her father's house so she took took matters into her own hands. Honestly, it's just really hard to tell this story, PG, because there are many sordid details, which brings me to my first question. God is in this story? It, indeed, he was. Uh, suffice it to say that Tamar tricked Judah into getting her pregnant, which, by the way, was his duty and responsibility all along. 
She had twin boys, Perez and Zara. And so you might be saying, why is this story important? Well, Judah and Tamar are in the lineage of Christ. So without Judah and Tamar, we have no Jesus. And I love how our song suggests different storylines that we may have walked through. The bridge says, if, if it reads like addiction, if it reads like disease, if it reads like depression, if it reads broken home, these are all examples of seemingly broken stories that God redeems. The thing about our story um, in Genesis 38 is that it started way before Genesis 38. It's way more broken than just a household of wicked sons. Uh, I've already spoiled the happy ending of how it culminated in the Savior of the world coming to earth, fully God, fully man. And like any story, it's so much easier to see God's hand after it's all said and done than while you're in the midst of it. But perhaps by studying this story, we can learn to say, if God is in this story, I know he's in mine too. So the first Bible interaction tool exercise I want us to take, the first bite, B-I-T-E, I want you to take this week is to read the narrative in context. And this is going to be a big bite because you actually, you know, you actually may have to set a timer. I think that's another bite that I like to share. Uh, read for a set period of time instead of a set cha- uh, number of chapters and verses. And this is the perfect opportunity for you to try that bite out because um, I want you to read quite a few chapters. Um, I want you to take the bite of read and keep on reading. Because to see the nuance of this story in Genesis 38, and even to understand it even beyond Genesis 38, you're going to need some backstory. So as I write my fictional story, I've really identified how important backstory is. You see, backstory is what makes a person respond in the way they do. Your backstory has built beliefs that guide you or misbeliefs that misguide you. And that's the same of a character in a story. And of course, don't forget that Judah and Tamar were real people, not just characters in a story. But what we need in the story of Judah and Tamar is the backstory. And the only way we can get that is to back way up. So I will actually, I'm actually recommending that you back up to Genesis 25. And this is where we see Judah's father, Jacob, born. Um, a twin. He's a twin, just like Perez and Zara. And when you read forward, you'll, you'll see quite a backstory for Jacob. But keep in mind, whatever you are reading... Um, about Jacob. Think about how it may have impacted Judah. So I want to take the bite of focusing on a theme. And in this case, the theme is Judah's story. So maybe you've read this text before, but maybe not with that antenna up before. And why am I asking you to do this? Well, there are aspects, for example, there are aspects of my mom's story that makes its way into my story. So she didn't have a great relationship with her dad, and that impacted the way he treated me. Now, I didn't have the same history with him as she did, but trust me, that history did impact me. And that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. So uh, when you read a conversation that Jacob's parents had in Genesis 27, 46, Rebecca says to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. Uh, These are the wives of Jacob's brother Esau. If Jacob marries one of those Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? (laughs) And she's a little dramatic, but... The next verse says that Isaac called Jacob, blessed him, and directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. Okay, so that's part of Jacob's story. 
But surely that made its way into Judah's story as well. Isn't it interesting to you or to me that Judah would go to Canaan and take for himself a Canaanite wife? I mean, it, it, you you know this is a very oral culture. You know you heard the story about Uncle Esau's Canaanite women and what a disaster it was. <laughs> and here you have Judah, one of Jacob's sons, doing the same thing. But anyway, by Genesis 29, you're going to discover that Judah is the fourth son of Jacob's first wife, a woman that Jacob did not love. Hmm. I wonder how that plays into Judah's story. All right, so I want you to take the bite of using your imagination here. What would it have been like to grow up in this household? Two sisters vying for their husband's attention and affection. Throw in a few servants who also bore children to Jacob, but were raised by the sisters as their own. It's a mess. And I thought our family story had some tense moments. But place yourself, again, as you're reading the information, think about Judah grew up in this household. So this this guy, Judah, obviously we're, we're studying him as a man and making man decisions. But as a child, he grew up in this scenario. Well, what about the part of the story where the entire family flees Leah and Rachel's father only to come across Uncle Esau, Jacob's brother, whom he stole the inheritance from years and years before. So Judah is part of this part of the story, too. He's in that caravan approaching Uncle Esau. I know it's told, showing you the details of other characters, but Judah was there. Again, he was the fourth oldest in a line of 12 brothers, not including sisters. So he was he was there. And, and we can't leave out the story of the sisters because by Genesis 34, Judah's sister Dinah was violated by a prince in the land. And when you read it for yourself, don't forget that in Genesis 34, 7, it says the sons of Jacob had come in from the field. And as, as soon as they had heard of it, as soon as they heard this story about what happened to their sister, the men were indignant and very angry. And so Judah was in on the plot to deceive the men of the town into thinking that all they had to do was get circumcised. And then Jacob would give Dinah in marriage to this prince. And scripture says that the two older brothers, Simeon and Levi, were the ones who massacred the men of the city. But Judah was right there, plundering it with his brothers. (laughs) So scripture doesn't list him by name, but make no mistake, this was part of Judah's story. So I think it'll change the way you read this section of scripture, even if you've read it before, by keeping that, again, that Judah antenna up. So now we're up to Genesis 37 in our quick flyover, and we read the story of Joseph. And verse 11 says, his brothers were jealous of him. Again, that includes Judah. So see what I mean when I say the text with the theme, read it with with Judah in mind. So either you can identify him directly in the story by name or how the events may have played out in his mind and his reactions. So when scripture says that the brothers conspired against Joseph to kill him, Judah's in that lot. They threw him in a pit and sat down to have a sandwich. You know, I I guess they thought he would die of starvation in the pit. But then a caravan heading to Egypt comes by and Judah himself has this idea. Verse 26. Then Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him. For he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then Midianite traders passed by. They drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit, sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver, They and they took Joseph to Egypt. So 
Later on, um, they all spun a tale of woe to their father, dipped Joseph's coat in blood, and proclaimed that Joseph must have been killed by a wild animal. Of course, they had no idea or no way of knowing what actually happened to Joseph. And it's in this backdrop that we see Judah leaving town to start a new life near his friend Hira, the Adulamite. All right, so that's where Genesis 38 comes in. So thinking about all that backstory is so interesting. I've referenced the bite of using your imagination this week. And I have an amazing tool to suggest to help you do that. It's also actually going to take the bite of consulting an outside resource. And in this case, it's accessing the imagination of another person. I read a novella this week. A uh, novella is a, a short fiction story. Short is in like less than 100 pages versus you know, like a three or 400 page novel. And it was written by Francine Rivers. And it is one of five in like a compilation book called A Lineage of Grace, Five Unlikely Women Who Changed Eternity. There's a novella for each woman. So Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, and Mary. And all of these women are in the lineage of Christ. But Francine Rivers does this masterful job of weaving historical and cultural norms into an account that we only get the highlights of. So we're not really sure what Tamar's motivations are, but culturally, it would have been her duty to bear a son. And she went out of her way to do this. And I think that I've always relegated her to... Um, maybe a status of less than because of how she did it. It just never seemed holy to me. And for sure, deception is not holy. Uh, But it may have been done from an honorable motive. And that was something I had never considered before reading this novella and, and seeing Francine Rivers take on it. Now, something else that jumped out at me was how Francine Rivers portrayed Ur's wickedness. So we are not told in scripture in what ways Ur was wicked. We could possibly make a list based on what we know God determines as wickedness. You know, we could go through scripture and say, you know, these are specific things that God said is wicked. And and Ur could very well have done some or all of them. But Rivers links the memory of Simeon and Levi's ruthlessness when they massacred that entire town of people, um, at least in Judah's mind, she links it, which was interesting to me, too. So it's like Judah has seen wickedness, and so he should be able to identify it. And um, basically, Francine Rivers says in, in, the no, in the novella, she's kind of indicating that Judah didn't do anything about it or kind of was allowed to, to be as wicked as he wanted. And God's the one that took it upon himself to end his life. But... Anyway, most of all, I loved the Bible study questions at the end of the novella because it encourages us to do what we've been doing today. Read the text for ourselves. So you consider River's take on it. You answer some thoughtful questions for yourself. But all of that in combination um, with reading the text for yourself. So I encourage you to grab that as a resource. I'm going to link it in the show notes in case you want to see if your local library has it. Check it out or even maybe just purchase it for yourself. Um, Of course, as with any outside resource, I encourage you to read the text for yourself first, then go and um, utilize that outside resource. Now, what we didn't get to today uh, was anything on the other side of this account of Judah and Tamar. So we got all the backstory up to Genesis 38. Uh, We didn't get to see them move back to his father's region and household, which obviously happens based on the text. We didn't get to examine Judah's 
heart transformation as revealed in his interactions with his brother Joseph in Egypt. We didn't read forward to see Judah and Tamar's family as part of the 70 souls who moved to Egypt to be preserved during the famine. We didn't get a chance to look at the blessings of Jacob on Judah's life that point directly to Jesus or the mentions of Tamar throughout scripture, um, really holding a place of honor. But one thing has hopefully been made clear. God was in this story. As broken and twisted as it was, and God is in your story too. He he has a way of turning things the enemy means for evil into good for you and his kingdom and generations to come. You know, Judah and Tamar could never fully comprehend how their story could be so integral in ours. And don't forget what this story and our song reminds us of. Even in the broken parts, God holds your heart and he never fails, even though we often do. So what's next? Well, take on a good chunk of Genesis this week, back up to Genesis 25 and read forward all the way to the end. Read with your Judah antenna up. Consider how the details that you're reading might weave their way into his thinking and action. So even if it doesn't name him, just remember he may have been in the room kind of scenario. Uh, Challenge yourself to look at Tamar differently. Read with imagination and consider what elements were surely in their lives, maybe not detailed in the account of scripture, but any kind of historical background information that you could read or come across to understand the times. Pray and ask God to reveal himself to you through their story. And then ask God for the assurance in your inmost being that he is in your story too. And then while you're in God's word this week, let me know how you're doing. Email me, michelle at com. You can hop on Twitter or Instagram at michellekneezat, and we can talk about what you're learning. My public Facebook page is Michelle L. Nizat. Now, More Than a Song is a proud member of the NRT Podcast Network. You can check out other podcasts in the network and Christian music resources at newreleasetoday.com. And I would be honored if you followed the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts so that you never miss an episode. But if you sign up on my website at michellekneezat.com, then I'm able to email you once a week with the show notes, with all the scriptures I use, all the links to all the resources, any articles, any background information, stuff I mentioned on the podcast, including things that I don't necessarily mention in the podcast. And so my featured free resource this week for new email subscribers is my 30-day music challenge. Uh, The challenge is basically listen exclusively to Christian music for 30 days, and I walk you through it with one-minute videos each day. It's free, so head over to michellekneezat.com forward slash 30-day challenge to take the challenge. Change your music, change your life. And with that in mind, I want to thank any new subscribers who've subscribed lately, like Kimberly from California, Gail from Hawaii, and Derek from South Africa. Welcome. Now, don't forget, you can listen to the podcast directly on my website at michellekneezat.com through iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. You can follow on Spotify or through Stitcher Radio or your podcast listening app of choice. And if you haven't left a review yet, could you do that today? Head over to lovethepodcast.com forward slash more than a song. Well, that's it for this episode of More Than a Song. Next week, I will be featuring Hymn of Heaven by Phil Wickham to dive into scripture. If you liked this episode, however, would you mind sharing it with others? I've made it really easy. With one click, you can share via Facebook, Twitter, or email. Just head over to michellekneezat.com forward slash 442. While you're there, I'd love to hear from you. Click on comment to join the conversation. 
Until next time, take time to meditate on God's Word and consider His ways.